We are so excited to announce that the second edition of Tamina Watson's book, The Startup Visa, Key to Job Growth and Economic Prosperity in America, is now out for order. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you get your books. You can do so by searching The Startup Visa Book or by finding Tamina Watson's author page on Amazon or online. That is spelled T-A-H-M-I-N-A-W-A-T-S-O-N. Thank you so much for your support and for tuning into this episode. Welcome. Uh, It's August 17th, 2018, and this is Alex Stonehill from the Seattle Globalist, and I'm here talking immigration with the brilliant and tireless Tamina Watson from Watson Immigration Law. Um, So we're taking kind of a little new approach to Tamina's uh, longstanding podcast and radio show, Tamina Talks Immigration, and now you've gone from being the the host to being the guest, Tamina. Yeah, well, this is fun. I can't wait to just share all the things that I need to tell people. So thank you for hosting. Yeah. Being the interviewer. And I'm hoping that what we can do is kind of talk, uh, talk about changes in immigration policy and enforcement with an eye to, of course, the, the general public listener, but especially um, thinking about, you know, immigrants who might be directly impacted by these changes as, as of course, that's who you serve in your, in your practice. And, and I know that you're, you're passionate about spreading the word about that stuff. Does that sound good? It sounds perfect. Okay, cool. So we, we have a topic that we want to drill down on today. But before we do that, I wanted to um, just kind of clarify a big picture thing, um, because we talk a lot about, you know, you're talking a lot about changes to, to immigration. Um, but it's not actually changes to immigration law exactly, right? Congress hasn't changed the immigration laws for years. And there's sort of a deadlock around that. But these changes that we talk about are changes made by executive order all, all in the executive branch, either when it comes to how, um, you know, what what those more nuanced policies are, or the ways that they're being enforced. Do I have that right? You do. That? And okay. I'm so glad you bring that up. Because um, I was recently going through some of my old paperwork, and I came across this document called 79 changes that the next president could infor- uh, make. And when I had started a new committee for the Immigration Lawyers Association, I was trying to um, uh, understand what sort of things I should be prepared for. And that document was something that was almost like a roadmap for uh, the next president who would, you know, potentially be Republican. Um, And what was interesting in that 79 policies that when I first looked at it, I thought, oh, you can't make these changes without Congress. Well, I've got nothing to worry about. But 18 months later, when I come across this document and I look at it, I was astounded by the changes that were accomplished without Congress, because the changes that are happening are happening fast and furiously because they're not getting Congress to actually make um, changes. They are reinterpreting existing language of the law. And these interpretations are essentially made uh, with the view of, of what this administration's goals are. And it's interesting that they can make such um, adverse uh, uh, changes uh, without going to Congress. And so one of the topics that we will be talking about uh, is really student visas. But 
what's interesting is that across the board, whether it's students, family members, you know, employers, employees, investors, um, whether it is, you know, people seeking asylum, all of these changes that we are seeing in the news, they are all happening through policy changes. And this needs to stop because a lot of these are, you know, in my view, unconstitutional and of course, ACLU and other organizations are challenging them, but the damage is already happening. Um, so I'm so glad you asked that question because I don't think a lot of people understand that. Yeah, so hopefully we'll have time uh, to get to a lot of those changes um, in future uh, iterations and uh, future conversations. But um, for now, let's dive into to one of the ones that it sounds like is, is the most pressing um, recent uh, changes in policy when it comes to student visas and enforcement on that. So just in a nutshell, can you tell us kind of what, what happened recently, how, how this has changed? Mm -hmm. So one of the goals for this administration is to find ways to curtail immigration in all avenues. And they were looking at uh, specific visa by visa, you know, um, status and how they can make changes. And they looked at student visas and student visas come in the form of F1 visas. Um, which is really you're going to a school. Um, the exchange visitors, that's a J visa, often they're coming here as trainees. And there's the uh, vocational student M visa, visa holders. So F, J and M, uh, the government has particularly picked uh, on, in the, in the, on these categories and made some policy changes. And, and presumably if you're a student, an international student here, then you know which, which one of those visas you have because you filled out all the forms and stuff like that. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. You already know that. And when you, you typically would have a visa stamp in your passport indicating that category. And when you come into the US and you cross the airport or the road border, there would be a, a digitized um, document basically called an I-94 that signifies your visa status and how long you are essentially allowed to stay here. And anybody who comes to the U.S. as a visitor will always have one of those uh, documents called I-94 and they will always have a date uh, on that. Um, the only people that wouldn't have an end date are essentially students. And students often will have uh, annotation called D- D for dog, slash S, S for sugar, duration of stay. And that means that when a student has come into the U.S. and they are going to a course for, let's say, four years to study, you know, communications, um, they can actually go to another course thereafter and another course thereafter. And so their status it is determined by them going to school all the time. So... Right. One of the one of the ways in which status is determined, uh, or, or the end of it is determined for those who have the D slash S annotation, is if an immigration officer looking at their application for the next petition they have, let's say they're going for a work visa, uh, and, and the officer finds that they did not maintain status, that's when they will say, well, actually, you violated status, and from here on, you're accruing unlawful presence. And, you know, I will give you an explanation of what unlawful presence means in this context. Um, the other way in which um, the, the duration of status comes to an end is if a judge looks at that and says, yes, you have violated status and from here on you're accruing unlawful status. So, for instance, if I was, uh, you know, studying as an undergraduate international student and I didn't take classes for a semester or a year and then I finished my degree and went back to apply to continue to study as a, uh, for a master's degree or, or for a 
to get a work visa, they could look back and say, oh, you you were unlawfully present for that time that you weren't studying. Is that about That's right? That's correct. That's okay. correct. And and within the school, there was there is also a mechanism. Everybody has a, a, a service number. Uh, I forget what it stands for at the moment, but it's essentially every student will have an international student number. And the international department in the school has a duty to report to ICE uh, whether this person is maintaining status or not. And, and so there are internal mechanisms uh, by which uh, the school could potentially notify, but the policy changes that we will talk about in a minute will actually change those drastically. Okay, yeah, tell us about those if you're ready. Yeah, so it's interesting because when we first saw this, all immigration lawyers, we all became very, very concerned. And it's interesting, there's a policy memo, and that is on on my blog, and maybe you can share that, Alex, at some point. But essentially, the government says that we have better ways of tracking who's maintaining status or not. And in this policy memo, they actually do say that we estimate that um, there are perhaps 6.9% of F1 students who don't maintain status, 3.8% that don't maintain J uh, visa status, and 11.6% that um, are not maintaining their M visa status. So they've, you know, they pinpointed some numbers to justify um, why they are making their changes. And it's really a low-hanging fruit in many ways, because uh, it's a start of a bigger mission that they have. So the effective date when this policy goes into um, effect is August 9th, 2018, which was last week. Mm -hmm. And the memo that came out uh, essentially uh, looked at it in two ways, saying anybody who maintained status didn't maintain status before August 9th and those who didn't maintain or will not maintain status after August 9th. So they essentially say that if you had not been maintaining status before August 9th, uh, what will happen is that um, the day after USCIS, um, you know, denies a request for some other visa status. Um, that is when your unlawful presence will begin. Or the day after the I-94 uh, expires. So some students, for example, the J visa holder, could would possibly have an end date. They likely have an end date. The M visa holder could potentially have an end date, not always. And so if there is an end date and you haven't left, therefore you will start accruing unlawful presence. And of course, if a judge makes that determination. But the important changes are the ones that are about um, after August 9th. And they come in uh, four ways, but the the first two are very important. So the day after, um, or actually all of them are very important, the day after the student no longer studies the course that they were meant to study, they will then become unlawfully present. So that's number one. And uh, the second one in that same um, bullet point is if they start um, engaging in un unauthorized activity. Now, uh, like working, for instance. Could it be could be. Yeah. So I think we look at this, uh, we, uh, we should dissect this a little. So if they are no longer pursuing their course of study, 
It could happen sometimes inadvertently. Maybe a student has forgotten to pay a fee, or they haven't spoken to their teacher. There are a number of things that could happen within a school that is, and maybe an administrative error. And so, on paper, it could、uh, look like the person is no longer pursuing their course of study. So the student now has to be. Ultra careful in making sure that they are always,、um, you know, at the school,、uh, administratively taking care of their status. But the 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 second point about unlawful, un, unauthorized activity, yeah, is working. But it could be that. Um, your that working is not is is a grey area, you know. It's often students think we're volunteering, and volunteering is something that is definitely a grey area because often I will speak with people、um, who will say, "Well, I'm just volunteering here. It's I'm not getting paid." But if another person, American worker, would actually get paid to do that job. Then it would be considered that that volunteer position is unlawful work. So often these grey areas、um, have always traditionally been a problem, but going forward for students, it's going to be a bigger problem.、Um, if a student、uh, often they're working at a restaurant, for example, you know, cash in hand,、uh, that. Is is you know a risk at this point a bigger risk than the, it ever has been, and so unauthorized activity. You've got to see if you're a student, really fully understand what the actions you're taking and what could be construed as unlawful.、Um, The second one、uh, of these changes is the day after completing the course. Or any practical training and any grace period,、um, one will start accruing unlawful presence. So, what does that mean? If you completed the course. Um, anybody on one of these visa categories will have grace periods, meaning that you finish the course and you've got, you know, sixty days.、Uh, J visa holders have thirty days. You have amount of days to hang around, travel, wrap up, and then leave. And that grace period is is completely fine. But what the government is saying is, if you've completed your course and you've completed your grace period, you and you haven't left, you are now accruing unlawful presence. The other side of that is, if you have completed your course, sometimes you can be eligible to work、uh, as a, as an intern, and that is often、uh, that is called optional practical training, or it could be called curricular practical training. That's generally within the course. But optional practical training is generally for twelve months after you finish your course, and then you get your grace period after that. And again, your visa on your your I ninety four would generally say D stroke S. Remember, so it, there wouldn't necessarily be an end date. But the government is saying that if you have stopped working and you finished your grace period and you haven't left the country, we're essentially coming after you. Okay,、um, and, and, that, and then the, the third the, one. No, no, the you go ahead. Is that they're、uh, is is how aggressively they're they're coming after you? Like where past administrations might have、uh, you know seen seen these statuses lapse or、mm-hmm. seen people begin unlawful、uh, presence.、Mm-hmm. And, uh, in this case, they're they're starting to、mm-hmm. enforce that more aggressively. Is that right? Absolutely. They.、Okay. That's right. Yes.、Um, and, and then the and the third one is that the day of. 
after the I-94 expires, if there was an actual date on it, that's when you become unlawfully present. And the last one is if a judge makes that determination. Um, sometimes a judge will make a determination and procedurally one is allowed to appeal the decision. And what the government is saying that even if you appeal that decision, we are going to consider your status unlawfully present. Now, all of these at the one thing, detention. So the government recently issued a new memo, um, basically updating their policies on when somebody will be put into removal proceedings or deportation proceedings. And that happens with a document that is given to people called a notice to appear. Like so you're in court, they say. That's right. That's right. You were, that document is the beginning. It's like a summons, you know, in, in general, if people understand that better. It's essentially the document that gets you into court proceedings. And it's very difficult to come out because, you know, the new um, attorney general, not new anymore, attorney general Jeff Sessions, a lot of policy changes are happening in the courtroom where you can't close a case anymore, even if you're trying to leave. So they're going to make you go through the entire process of, the court proceeding, but and they're going to throw you into that um, situation by issuing uh, this notice to appear. So one of the things that the students have to now be acutely aware of is what is my status? How long do I have to stay here? And what are the things that will get me out of status? Um, so my recommendation would be to talk to the international student department of the school so that they can have, a, you know, a 101 of what makes them fall out of status procedurally at school. Because as an immigration lawyer, I don't get to see that. But what are those administrative steps that one could actually miss? So the bottom line is uh, we students, international students need to be much more careful to not fall out of status sort of accidentally or intentionally, I guess, um, because uh, if they do, they're, they're facing removal proceedings, uh, a, a quick notice to appear and, and possibly ending up detained and then deported. That's right. That's right. And, you know, the student might say, well, how would they know? You know, if I'm working at a restaurant, how would they know? And one of the things that we saw in 2017, particularly in the H-1B context, where students are trans transitioning into the H-1B status, and we didn't quite understand the, the build-up to what we are now seeing, is that they were really looking at the person's status. When were you working? What would the pay stub show me that you were working at the time? You know, uh, as, as somebody who is uh, on optional practical training program, they can have 90 days of not working. But if you have not worked for more than 90 days, then you are actually, um, you know, not maintaining status. And we found that in 2017, they were really honing into that. We had to send responses to the government that became six inches big because the government was looking at every bank statement that the student had that showed their income coming in. You know, they went to that level of detail. So if a student says, how are they going to find out, have access to any information that is with USCIS, meaning the forms that they filled out, 
they will look at any of your records that's available through their agencies. And when somebody is actually applying for a different visa category or extending their status, the government could ask for more information. And at that point, you're essentially trying to give them the information that they're looking for, but you may not necessarily know what they're looking at and why. So mm -hmm. you may be given um, documents to show, um, oh, this is the, this is the, place I was working at, they may have a different, um, a, a, you know, set of information that doesn't necessarily match yours, or they're discerning information from the information that you're giving them. So, and so it could happen in a number of ways. And so it sounds like maintaining status becomes very burdensome. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's sometimes hard to do that. So we're, we're almost out of time, Tamina, but I want to ask you one more uh, big picture question mm -hmm. um, before we close. And that's just to give you an opportunity to sort of philosophically speak to, from a de devil's advocate standpoint, um, isn't it good to be enforcing the, these rules as they stand and to be holding international students to the, the, the laws as they're written and, and, and force them to follow the rules? What do we lose in this more aggressive enforcement? That's a really good question. You know, as a lawyer, you know, of course, I want people to maintain status and I want them to follow the law. But what we have seen with this administration over and over and over again is that we're seeing arbitrary decisions. And these arbitrary decisions that they're making are affecting immigration as a whole. People are going to find, schools will find that students don't want to come here anymore. And there is an already a drastic drop in the number of international students that are coming to the U.S. Um, these students contribute to the future of, of America. They're contributing to the economy. There are many statistics to show how beneficial international students are. So when arbitrary rules are put into place, it affects not just the student that they want to make sure... Uh, uh, is maintaining status, it actually affects an entire ecosystem. And I think what we will see in 2019 is that schools are going to be, uh, you know, struggle, going to be struggling to get um, students uh, to their schools. Uh, and people will essentially say, well, America's no longer the place for us to go and get our education because I can get it in Canada and they actually want me. So on the bigger picture, the student population is one aspect of how immigration is changing here and each aspect of immigration is really really important mm -hmm. thank you that's a great point that we're as a as a country we're competing for that international talent it's not just that they're competing to be able to come to us um thank you so that's much right. tamina this has been fantastic and illuminating um this has been tamina talks immigration with uh tamina watson from watson immigration law and alex stonehill from the seattle globalist and we'll be back soon with more